Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Jay Parson and Michael Baranowski. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week is, as always, Cleveland attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson, the man to see for all your commercial litigation needs. On Thursday, the Vatican released Pope Francis's 184-page encyclical on climate change in which he called for a radical transformation in politics, economics, and lifestyles in order to confront what he considers a pretty pressing global issue. So what do you think about this, Jay? Well, uh, on the one hand, um, uh, the, the Pope can, is certainly free to say what he wants, and uh, if this is a big issue for him, uh, I, I suppose he, he ought to speak out. Um, but, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm a little confounded by, I guess, is the left's response of now that the Pope has sort of weighed in on climate change, that uh, uh, to me is sort of the, the bizarre uh, argument that uh, climate change is real because the Pope says so. Um, that would seem to me probably like the most unscientific kind of statement you could make uh, and a, probably the worst appeal to authority. Uh, but but look, I mean, I, I understand. I think there is something to be said in the, the um, uh, Christian worldview that uh, we're stewards of God's creation and uh, we ought not to mess it up. Uh, I think there's also something in the Pope's background coming from the third world uh, where where he views uh, big industrialization as as something differently than than someone from the West, from like some uh, like a Pope John Paul uh, II would have would have seen it. Um, so I, yeah, but but you're actually you were you went to Catholic school, so you tell me. You're, well, for a while. Well, <laughs> I uh, uh, my thinking on this is first off, this isn't really a terrifically new thing. In fact, uh, uh, Pope. Francis's predecessor, the uh, Pope uh, Benedict, wasn't his name? Yes, Pope Benedict, yeah. who certainly wasn't, didn't have a uh, developing world background. For a while, they actually wanted to uh, link him with the moniker, the Green Pope. So he was very much into this. And in fact, you can go back to the early 70s, really, and popes have been uh, concerned with this issue, though no one's, I think, come out quite as strongly as this pope. And I agree with you that if anyone is is taking up this issue and and uh, making up their mind based on the science of the pope well that's a big problem and he certainly is a false authority in that area but my take on it's a little bit different i think that what he's done is essentially taken a look at the existing scientific consensus and i argue that there is a very strong scientific consensus and said given what we what the science tells us what is our ethical and moral obligation according to you know the the catholic religion and in this area i think he very much is an authority and so listening to the pope you know, based on this idea of, well, given the science, what is our duty or what are our duties as Catholics, then I think in that case, he is much more of an authority. Well, then I guess the question that flows from that is, uh, is anybody going to listen to him? I know uh, you had posted something online and I've seen other stuff about, well, look, this is, will this change how uh, Catholic politicians uh, view uh, environmental issues, uh, climate change issues, if you've got the Pope uh, pushing for it? Uh, and, and then my sense would be, uh, 
probably when it's convenient for them. Exactly. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to uh, change their mind. Uh, for example, I don't think if you had a a Catholic uh, running in uh, West Virginia, I, I don't know that you do, but um, that, that he would somehow uh, come out against coal because the Pope has said so. Yeah. Uh, likewise, I think the, uh, the folks who are uh, green folks uh, to begin with might uh, be happy to cite the Pope, although they might uh, go part, part ways with him on, on uh, things like abortion or homosexuality. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty clear that uh, Catholics in America have a long history of listening to the Pope when it's convenient for them, right? And I, the, this, I think this ability to sort of disregard papal messages that are inconvenient is, is pretty clear over time. And if you take a look at the polling data, it's, it's fairly clear it breaks down a, along ideological lines and something like only uh, a quarter of Catholic Republicans believe that global warming is uh, caused by humans and is a serious problem. So I don't think anyone's right. mind. There was there was a great quote by. Although although I think although I would I would I think that's one of those those weird kind of areas where we we could say, uh, listen, it's one thing to say uh, I dis I disagree with the Pope's moral advice, and it's another thing to say I think the Pope is is starting from incorrect premises right. in the first place, right. which which that's kind of where I am. I think I mean look I. Generally, I I don't uh, I don't think anybody wants the environment messed up. Uh, Aside from you know. a Bond villain or something, no. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to destroy the world. Even Republicans. I mean, ninety percent of the Republicans I talk to do not want to destroy the world. Um, How comforting. Uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, the the idea that uh, uh, again, that's always been sort of a straw man to me. That there's just the the mean big industrialist who wants to pollute just for pollution's sake. Sure. Uh, but I, I, so I, I think uh, the idea that we ought not to uh, pollute and 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 uh, mess up the world uh, for ourselves and future generations is an appropriate moral message for the Pope to bring. But I think he's just starting from the wrong facts. So, and and now some people have suggested that this could have some sort of effect on the 2016 presidential election. There are, of course, a few announced candidates who are Catholics, uh, most prominently Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that that would influence them at all? Uh, not in the least. That, that, that's <laughs> where I stand on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, there's even a question of whether there is such a thing as the Catholic vote anymore, where maybe 30, 40 years ago you could make that argument. I don't know that that's, uh, that's really a strong argument to make anymore these days. So I don't really I, think – I think there maybe is still on, in things on, on things like right-to-life issues, uh, right. that kind of, kind of thing. But I think when – you know, the, the farther the, the, the pope gets, uh, I think the farther the pope wades into uh, what are in many ways secular – economic issues, uh, the, the less followers he takes with him. You know, there are... uh, when you're talking about a core moral issue of, of we believe life begins at conception, and that is uh, more of a, a religious philosophical statement than it is a scientific one, uh, you know, the Pope's on firmer ground and the people who follow him are, 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 are more likely there with him. Uh, but as you get into these other issues where there are, as we've talked about many times, economic trade-offs, uh, of you know how much development do you want versus how much uh, greenhouse gas do you want? Uh, those those are more difficult to say. Here's a religious philosophical bright line. So now I saw that there were some conservative commentators who were saying that the Pope 
shouldn't have published this encyclical in the first place, that he's essentially sticking his nose into matters that are not of his concern. What do you think about that? Oh, you know, and look, I'll start with the usual caveat that, look, I'm not Catholic. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't I don't think he I mean, he's the pope. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, he's sort of, that's really part of the job. Right. I mean, they can't fire you. Um, and and if he if he thinks that that this is a concern and a moral issue, then uh, I think he ought to speak out on it. Um, and, and I would also say a lot of the the encyclical and I I, I will you know, admit I didn't read it. Uh, I haven't read the whole thing. I think encyclical, cyclical uh, comes from the Latin meaning uh, long and preachy. Exactly. Um, uh, but but the idea is much more of a uh, humanity ought to treat the earth uh, with respect uh, and less a, a policy statement on uh, we want to see this many, this much percentage reduction in, in greenhouse gases or uh, you know, we ought to we ought to have a, a carbon tax credits for uh, this kind of things, where you ought to drive a Prius or, or something like that. It, it is much more uh, aspirational and and more, um, you know, be kind to the earth sort of thing than a, a specific policy statement on global warming. Right. I, well, it sounds like on this issue we agree on every single thing except for the fundamental premises on which the yeah. Pope bases his argument. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there you go. And and maybe the Pope just needs to read more widely. Uh, yeah, okay. These things, so. All right, well, let's move on from the Pope and talk a little bit about an issue that's been uh, very prominent in news this week. Of course, uh, everyone's heard that on Wednesday night where the man uh, uh, Dylan Stormroof uh, – went into a black church in Charleston, South Carolina during a prayer meeting, uh, opened fire and killed nine people. Uh, this, of course, is a, a tragedy. Everyone acknowledges this as a tragedy. So uh, in what sense uh, do you see this as having political connotations, Jay? Um, you know, I guess I guess what, what troubles me, I mean, first of all, this is, and it ought to be viewed as, as, an, a tra- as a tragedy, an atrocity, for anyone wherever they are on the political spectrum uh, in America, I, I don't see how there's any, you know, there, there's there's any two ways to argue this. I mean, it, it it's absolutely racially uh, motivated, uh, and and there's absolutely uh, no no other reason or or, or justification or, or anything that 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 someone can attach to this as to, as to why someone would would do this. Uh, and I guess the, then what what troubles me is uh, when there are sort of the when it is politicized uh, and, and it has been and 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 I don't and I'm I'm trying to decide whether I'm being fair to uh, folks on the left who are, are politicizing this. For example, the one of the there's been the call for the we've talked about the, the Confederate flag uh, still flies over uh, South Carolina, uh, South Carolina's state capital. Um, I've seen articles saying that well, the, this was caused by gentrification. I've seen articles uh, linking this to other, you know, again, just you know, general general conservatives. Uh, they're out there uh, uh, causing this, and and I think that's, you know, on the one hand, uh, maybe it's just trying to make sense of what is, in many ways, a senseless tragedy. Um, on the other hand, it it really strikes of, of opportunism and and uh, 
you know, the what the left is often accused of is never letting a good tragedy go to waste. Well, I think everyone's accused of that, and because it's true, it's a it's a thing that both sides do. So I don't think that that's uh, it's fair to say that just the left does that. Everyone seizes the opportunities when they can. A lot of people on the left would say that, for instance, George W. Bush seized the opportunity of nine uh, eleven to you know invade Iraq, and that's a, that's a whole other argument. But uh, you know, to me, I think there are a couple of things going on here. One, there's a very real issue with what some on the left are calling right-wing terrorism, right-wing extremism. And if you take a look, and, and here's an argument I've heard, if you compare, for instance, Muslim extremism and terrorism, uh, which, of course, is a serious thing that we've devoted hundreds of billions of dollars, if not more, depending on how you count it, to fighting. Well, since 9-11, according to statistics I've seen, Muslim extremism, terrorism has accounted for around 50 fatalities in this country. Whereas if you look at right-wing extremism, accounted well, if, for if, 254 fatalities. And yet right. you think about the amount of money we spend and the resources we spend on one compared to the other. And to a lot of people, that's, I think, a legitimate concern. And I think that's how the Confederate flag thing ties in there, essentially giving the, the state essentially not so much endorsing it, but uh, sort of saying, well, uh, uh, understanding some of this stuff, talking about heritage and other, I think, BS like that. And it, it I think it sort of gives people a feeling that while this stuff certainly is, it's never right to kill people, it sort of uh, creates an uh, creates an environment, an atmosphere where this, where this kind of stuff can happen more easily, I think is the argument. Well, yeah, but I, I, I still just don't think, again, I'm trying to give the other side the, ben- the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. on this. Uh, again, taking the, the line that when something like this happens, we, we search for answers, we search for something of how can we fix this? Um, and that's, you know, we hit upon things like with the Confederate flag. And first, I'd also dispute you on the Muslim Terrorist Act. I mean, if, if we're talking 350 versus 250 uh, in a country of, of 380 million uh, over a term of how many years, and I'm assuming the, the Muslim terrorism, we're not counting 9-11. No, since 9-11. It's actually yeah. 50, from, 50 fatalities for Muslim terrorism and 254 for uh, right-wing okay. terrorism. Now, my, my point isn't that that's a huge difference. I mean, you're right. In a country this large, it's not a huge difference. But my point is if we think about, uh, if we think about it in terms of the resources we are devoting to uh, working on each of these issues right. – I think there's a huge difference there because we're we're pretty clearly we've devoted a, an immense amount of resources to focusing on uh, Muslim extremism and terrorism, and you know I think in a lot of cases rightly so given given nine nine eleven. But you know what I think also I mean that the, the scope tends to be different. Okay. Uh, than what, what we're what we're you know between the between the two things. Um, but uh, no, and and I. I don't. So I, I mean, I, I guess uh, would more resources focused on is, is there an organized right wing terrorism uh, uh, that we're facing in America that's similar to something like Al Qaeda, uh, where it is, is uh, an organized group as opposed to just a couple really screwed up individuals? Sure, I see what you're saying, and it's a lot easier to go after an organized group yeah. than it is to go after an individual because that individual attitudes are are formed by all kinds of things, and how do you how do you deal with that? Essentially, well, I, I know I agree. Yeah, I mean, no, that's the, that's exactly the question. I mean, how many federal resources? What could what could uh, what could have been done? Uh, to stop this guy, uh, 
you know, the, the more resources would have would have solved. Yeah, well, and, and I'm not I'm not uh, and suggesting I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm not suggesting that removing the Confederate flag from a South Carolina capital will have any great effect. But, you know, it is it is just a symbol. But symbols, of course, uh, can be important and have meaning. And it also the great thing about this is it costs nothing. You know, and so if it could potentially have at least somewhat of a positive effect and it costs nothing, I, I say that's something that should be, you know, strongly considered. Well, let's let's talk about the Confederate flag, because and this is this is something that, you know, if I guess if we've gotten to that point and I would also make it, I made this paint point to someone yesterday that, look, you can't say that the Confederate flag caused this. That's, that's no, sort of, of course not. Sort of nonsensical. Um, uh you and I are both both grew up in Northeast Ohio, uh, pretty far from the Confederacy, mm-hmm. and and uh, my my first exposure to even seeing a Confederate flag or knowing that one existed was uh, was through the Duke Boys, um, right? <laughs> you know, and, and again, it was uh, it was sort of a uh, at that point, and as as I understood it, it was sort of a benign um, representation of, of of Southern pride. Right. And, that, you know, it, and it's just to interrupt. I think, isn't it? It's weird that we look at it that way. And the parallel that occurred to me would be like if if in the uh, you know, if currently there were a German TV show where a bunch of two good old boys were driving around, you know, Germany with a car that uh, that was called the Adolf Hitler that had a swastika on the top of it. Right. Because right. it represented, you know, German heritage and, and, and German power and strength and so forth. And how how offensive and how bizarre would that be? And how wrong would, would that it be? It would be it would be kind of a funny show though, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean like a German Bo and Luke Duke getting chased by, you know, kind of, I, I suppose it would setting that aside. But yeah, yes. I I guess I could see Adult <clears throat> Swim maybe trying something very edgy like that, but I don't know that it would the really last that long. And uh, uh, Franz or something like that, you know, sort of but uh, no, I, I, I agree. I, and this is something that, uh, you know, I recently had a bit of a um, uh, epiphany. I don't know. It's maybe putting too strong a word. But when I was at the, the Sixth Circuit Judicial Conference and we had a, a speaker uh, who did a lot of civil rights work um, and talking about things in the South. And, and it, it really occurred to me that uh, in many ways, the the whole idea of, of segregation of Jim Crow of the racism that that has pervaded the South for years has always been kind of intellectually abstraction for me. You know what I mean? I, I read about it. I know mm-hmm. what happened, uh, but but I guess I never really thought about it that hard, internalized it because it's sort of well that stuff happened in the South and it's it's it is it's just kind of like reading reading history. Right. Uh, but it, to people who actually lived it and are still living it. It's something completely different. And, and, you know, so where I come down on the Confederate flag is this, this has to be a process uh, uh, of Southerners by Southerners to sort of uh, reconcile the, the nobler aspects of their heritage with the, the really ugly stuff. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know that it's something that, that, you know, I can call for them to, to pull it down. But, but no, I think it's a discussion that, that ought to take place. And maybe it is time for the Confederate flag to go. It, it, at this point, at least, especially in in North in South Carolina, where the Confederate flag seems to have an exalted status above uh, other state state and national symbols. Uh, right, know, and I it, should, it should, seems that's should point out that 
that uh, while uh, the governor, Governor Haley, ordered that the American and South Carolina flags be lowered for nine days, one day for each of the victims, she couldn't do that for the Confederate battle standard because uh, based on uh, South Carolina state law, it requires a supermajority of the state legislature to lower that flag. And right. that to because me I sends... I it's even like padlocked on, on top, <laughs> so you can't, you it, literally can't do it. It clearly sends an awful message, but you know, I agree with you that this is certainly not something that can be mandated at the federal level. This is a state decision. And I, I took a look at some of the polling on this issue, and there was a poll done late last year that found that about a third of South Carolinians... Uh, had a positive view of the flag, and the remaining two-thirds were roughly split between neutral views and negative views. So in South Carolina, only about a third of people view the uh, Confederate flag in a negative light. So as a political issue, what's going to happen if you vote to do that? You're going to make some enemies and probably not make any friends. So we can understand why, from a political perspective, these state legislators are not doing that. Well, I would say it's not even uh, – not even, uh, and I'm not going to tell South Carolina what to do. Um, South Carolina, uh, but, I'm sure, appreciates that. Right. Well, because <laughs> not that they, they usually listen. And they wouldn't listen, yes, yeah, so much. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it should be pointed out. I mean, South Carolina also has sort of a, a really peculiar and special place in American history as being that, that, that sort of one troublemaker state. Uh, this goes back to the, the nullification doctrine back in the, the 1820s. Uh, South Carolina actually was tried to, you know, threaten secession back then, um, was, was one of the, the first, uh, in on the Confederacy, uh, they, and there's always been a, um, a really, uh, I don't even, I think to say anti-federalist probably soft pedals it, um, but, uh, states rights view in South Carolina, probably more so than anywhere else in the South, just, just on its history. Um, troublemakers. But, Exactly. Those 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 South Carolinians. Um, now I've now I've lost my place, Mike. And it I'm, happens I'm, to I'm, me all the time. But I was about to say something really brilliant. It was it was going to be profound. I felt it actually but, coming through the line here, but uh, that's okay. You know, I. But, I, but no, the, my, my what, no. Here's what it, here's what it was. Is this is something, and I, I it it uh, bothers me to use this word, but uh, a dialogue. Oh, yeah, I can see where that would bother you. Is yeah, it a teachable I'm usually, I'm usually moment? Not a fan, I'm usually not a fan of dialogues. But in this case, I'm saying someone else ought to have the dialogue. So I guess it's less of a problem. Right. Uh, but but these are issues that the South needs to work through. Um, and and it's it's one of these that maybe it takes, I mean, it's taken years? thus far, yeah. I mean, you know, 50, 100 years. Uh, and maybe it takes another 2025 and maybe the flag is the next step in that. Uh, I don't know, but I I think, I think the debate, that debate should be welcomed. Uh, the, the tying it to these killings, I think though, is, is a problem. And I, I really see that as, as opportunistic. You know, and the, the flag has actually come up in another context this week. Maybe, uh, Fewer people are familiar with this, but there was a Supreme Court case or a ruling this week from the court involving a case where uh, some people wanted a, I think it's Sons of the Confederacy, uh, special license plate in Texas. And the state said, no, you can't have that. And uh, the that you know the uh, the state was sued by these people and the supreme court in the 5 to 4 decision said that Texas did in fact have the right to deny this especially uh, plate with the uh, sons of the confederacy and what's one of the things that's unusual about this is the breakdown of the justices on here because the, you had the four liberal justices on one side that's uh, Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan 
but joining them, very strangely, was Justice Thomas, who mm-hmm. is, of course, the only black justice on the court, and that may have played into it or not. Some people certainly have speculated. But what did you think about this decision? I, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I mean, I'm not, I'm placing less weight on the decision, and I'm surprised it was, I'm surprised it was five four. I'm surprised it was that breakdown. Um, but you know, the issue that we're talking about here is when a state provides some sort of forum for speech, uh, that forum essentially has to be content neutral, uh, meaning that they can't discriminate uh, for one viewpoint ab- above another. Uh, now, the argument would be that, uh, uh, you know, if you want to say a confederacy, uh, sons of the confederacy, that the state then would also though have some right to regulate the forum that it creates. Um, yeah, and, and I think – go ahead. No, and those can be close calls. Yeah, I got uh, and, the and, sense that in this case, one of the things they were arguing is that having a message appear on a state license plate may seem like a state endorsement of that message. And in right. fact, that's what, you know, I think that's what the, uh, that's what the majority or what the majority was saying is that essentially that people, a reasonable person could come to the conclusion that the state was endorsing the Confederate battle flag or something to do with the Confederacy by having that appear on the, on the plate. And the minority sort of mocked that view by saying, oh, there are plates that have uh, Dr. Pepper that say that have Notre Dame on them that have rather would rather be golfing, that sort of thing. And clearly right. no reasonable person could think that the state of Texas is endorsing Notre Dame. God, right. no. Uh, Nor should they. Right. But I think that the key thing is, is my thinking on this is that, well, I could certainly see that a reasonable person would not think that the state of Texas was endorsing Dr. Pepper just because they saw Dr. Pepper on a license plate. But if people see on a license plate a very clearly political symbol like a Confederate flag, I don't know. I could see where reasonable people might think that the state was endorsing something to do with that message. So I I tend to agree with the majority on this case. I, and I, yes, for the record, I would tend to agree with the majority also, uh, which, again, is weird putting me in the uh, the Kagan-Ginsburg uh, 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 camp. But, um, you know, Ohio had something uh, similar, a little uh, fuss a couple years back over uh, you could get license plates that were pro-life. Um, like and, choose and, life, that kind of thing. Exactly, sure. yeah. Uh, now, my, my sense was, and, I'm, and I don't even remember all the specifics, but but my sense is is that that was seen as that's that's okay. It's not a uh, religious uh, uh, statement that the state is endorsing. Uh, and, and again, the idea is that uh, the state makes a number of different license plates available, and you can sort of choose whatever you want. Uh, and again, it can be your uh, you know a sports team, a, a college, university. Uh, I've got I've got Lake Erie uh, lighthouse plates. Uh, you know all kinds of variations. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I mean I don't see this as being like a big setting a big precedent one way or another in in free speech and, and uh, states' ability to regulate it. Uh, but I think it is it is interesting and, and sort of weirdly timely uh, considering the other stuff that's that's hitting the news that same week. Definitely. 
You know, there was one story, we're running a little short on time, and I really wanted to make sure we got to this story because to me, it's been just about one of the most disturbing stories in a long time. And I'm sure you've heard of it, but maybe uh, some of our listeners haven't. Uh, The Treasury Department announced that they are going to take Alexander Hamilton off of the $10 bill. And I was deeply disturbed by this. I am also deeply disturbed by this. I, I see this as, as absolutely villainous. Um, and in a weird kind of way, I mean, this kind of relates back to this whole, uh, like the Confederate flag too. If you're going to talk about celebrating heritage and history and, and keeping that in mind, uh, what better way than to, to keep Hamilton on money? I mean, Hamilton basically in, invented money. Um, in this country, yeah. The, at least in the American First country. Treasury Secretary, I mean, and and yeah, the idea that he would be taken off money. Now, that's not to say that I'm certainly in favor of having a woman on currency. I don't have a problem with that at all. I think my guess is it's going to be Harriet Tubman, and, and great, that's that's wonderful. But great. And I think as a lot of people who are focused on this issue, uh, and there are some of us, would argue that they made the wrong pick in demoting Hamilton because he still would be on the currency that the Treasury Department said just in some little back corner or something like right. that. I don't know. But clearly the person to take off the currency is Andrew Jackson. And there there were – I'd seen internet proposals floating that that, that would, you would take Jackson off the uh, the 20 and, and replace him with a, with a woman. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm OK with that. I mean – for a lot of reasons, one that Jackson was was really a horrible person. I think, and he hated he, I think paper he'd, he'd money. Agree with me on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He hated paper money too. In fact, he. Yeah. You know, exactly. And, he hated banks. Yeah. Yeah. He hated so the treasury. God, I mean, that that's perfectly. That's obviously the person he, to he take hated, off. He hated blacks. Uh, he I was a good hater. That, you know. Don't know that he was crazy about women. Uh, you know, pro- exactly. Probably not fond of the Jews. I mean, he was. Like, so <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's an easy call. And I think the Treasury Department's rationale that well, the ten dollar bill is up for redesign now, and the twenty isn't. That that seems to me just ridiculous. That, that's like the most horrible government bureaucratic answer you can get. Yeah. Uh, yes. Why? Why this? Well, because it's on next. Uh, um, no, I, I I do think you know when it comes to managing our heritage, and that's that's sort of a weird phrase, um, but it is something that we have to look at and and and, and cultivate. And sometimes that the federal government, I think, gets it gets it horribly wrong. Uh, Hamilton's so often overlooked because he wasn't president. Uh, a great American. His, his his contributions were incredible. And and again, I would even say uh, a lot of people that would would. Agree, and I'd be in this camp that Hamilton himself was was maybe not a, a great person, uh, uh, meaning a. Uh, uh, I would say he was a great man, maybe not a uh, always a good man. He had some problems, sure. Yeah, he had he had he had many personal flaws, and and also in in the whole Jefferson Hamilton uh, debate, I I tend to come down on the Jeffersonian oh, side. Oh, Jefferson I mean, was an know, awful human we, being. We've oh about God. This before. Jefferson is such I'm a scummy even human as a being. Jeffersonian, okay, but anyway, yeah. I would say Hamilton ought to be this. I, I would go. I would go as far to say if Jefferson were here today, he would say yes, keep Hamilton on the ten. So, well, I don't know. I don't know if I go that far, but okay. Um, so yeah, I I think that uh, you know it, it's pretty clear what what the Treasury Department should do. And you know, I was in reading about this issue, uh, it, it occurred to me that what we could do always is maybe do something a little more like the Brits do. I mean, our currency is pretty stodgy by world Mm -hmm. standards. And what the Brits do, of course, the Queen's always on their money because she's the Queen, but they really mix it up a little bit. 
and put different people on there and so forth. And I don't know. I don't. Maybe there's maybe there's something something to be said for that. Uh, see, my my conservative soul tells me that uh, we ought we ought to change things uh, only incrementally and and only when it. Uh, it really ought to happen. Uh, so you wouldn't like a – I guess I'm – you know, you know why. I mean you're going to have like the Jonas Brothers on currency, currency and that sort of thing and, and you know, it's, it's – I'm it only saying this – after a while. I'm only saying this probably because I really want to see Teddy Roosevelt on money. That's that's probably what it all boils down to. I recognize that. But uh, oh well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. That's for sure. So I guess I'd need to satisfy myself with him being on Mount Rushmore. Unfortunately, yeah. it's by Jefferson. So, you know. But anyway. Okay. Well, you, you got you got Jefferson off money for the most part, except for the nickel. But yeah, and the two dollar no bill. $2 so yeah, bill exactly. Anymore, so. so that's nice. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, that about does it for this week's episode. Uh, thank, yeah. So thanks everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail dot com. That's politicsguys one word at gmail dot com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. You can follow us throughout the week on Twitter, where our handle is politicsguys. We'll be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.